You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Thursday, January 13th, 2022. This is episode number 193. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour and conference, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's Favorite Grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, this show is live every weekday at Big Standard Time on Clubhouse. Join us and over 22,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you'd like to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. Today, we're talking about cannabis and COVID. California is not golden on clearing cannabis convictions. Mississippi's Senate showdown with the governor on medical cannabis. A BIPOC and legacy farmer rally at the California state capitol. Texas governor candidates are duking it out over who is more pro-cannabis. Spotify sues Potify and wins, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a particular headline after it's been read. Please make sure to keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. I'm going to start today's show with a soundbite from Jimmy Kimmel. We covered the story yesterday about how Oregon State researchers found that CBD could help keep COVID from entering human cells. Well, that story's blowing up. Here's the clip. I don't know why you're here. There's COVID, you know. There's COVID. Uh, Cases of Omicron, I'm sorry to tell you, are soaring, but... I do have some good news. There's been a medical breakthrough. Researchers at Oregon State University believe they may have found a natural way to ward off the virus, and that natural way is cannabis. That's right. Once again, it's cannabis. According to this study, cannabis compounds can prevent COVID-19 from infecting our cells. Cannabis compound, uh, also what Willie Nelson calls his house. But this would be interesting. You know, all this time we've been... Listening to the CDC, we should have been eating CBD. It's, and you know, it's funny. All these crazy cures, I'm like, oh, this is ridiculous. The ivermectin, the horse dewormer, bleach. And then somebody says, marijuana prevents COVID. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, do, do tell. This- Yay, cannabis. So the media is jumping all over this story. Almost every outlet is covering it. In Willamette Week, there's already an article titled Cannabis Remedies to Temper Certain Flu, Cold and Flu Symptoms, where they offer their selection of CBD products. This is from the article. Whether you're concerned about flu season or a protracted persistence that has likely kept you masked and hypervigilant, if not in quarantine mode, a robust cannabis medicine cabinet can help you through the first bacterium equinox of 2022. Cannabis is by no means a cure-all, but you can use it to temper certain cold and flu symptoms much in the same way you might with an over-the-counter remedy, no astro-traveling necessary. Furthermore, CBD acts as a unique immune system supporter, functioning as an anti-inflammatory, immunosuppressant, and immunomodulator, conceivably keeping your immune responses evergreen, as in perennial resilient as fuck. So yeah, this story is blowing up. Um, We always knew that cannabis was medicine and uh, just were waiting for the research to catch up. What does everybody think about this? 
Honestly, I would be very nervous about this story. And I'm not opposed to cannabis being medicine. I'm opposed to us just making cannabis the savior for everything because I think that hurts our credibility. So as long as there's good science backing this up, if there is the research there, then I'm all for it. But I just, it makes me nervous that this is just going to blow up in our face and is going to hold us back. I think it's not great when, you know, like, yes, it has definite properties that help with, you know, inflammation and those sorts of things. But it's like, does that really apply here? I just want, you know, verified scientists to say, yes, this really works. It's not a miracle for sure. And, but we, we've known forever that it was medicine and uh, it's, it's great to, um, uh, okay, I'm looking at the back channel. I need to pay attention. Let's keep moving. Um, are we going to Liz next? If we can do, um, if we can do mine with Felicia, because she only has a, a couple of seconds to be. Okay, with us. Oh, let's do that. All right. Up All next right. is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is also a superstar at cracking dad jokes. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What you got, Rico? All right, so mine is uh, coming out of L.A. Times. Um, California was supposed to clear cannabis convictions. Tens of thousands are still languishing. Uh, California legalized adult-use cannabis in 2016 with the promise to create a legal pathway for clearing many cannabis-related convictions or reducing them to a lesser charge. Uh, my good friend, and it was her birthday on Monday, too, so happy belated birthday, Felicia. Um, Felicia Carbajal has been a champion of this initiative, and she had some really, really awesome um, just pathways uh, that she was pushing forward uh, earlier. I, I shouldn't say earlier this year, like late last year. And, and she made the news on that and, and joined us on the story, but there have been some updates. So uh, she came on stage with us today and I wanted to just uh, cede my time so she can give us a quick update and, and talk about the story that came out this morning. Felicia, you on with us? Yeah. Good morning, everybody. Much love um, to you. Uh, in terms of the story, I think, I had alluded to a lot of this information back in um, September, at the end of September, when we made the L.A. County announcement of the 58,000 specifically. But I think, you know, the, the article just lays out essentially that there are a lot of gaps and that we don't have an automated process whatsoever in our state. We continue to refer to it as an automated process, but it's not. So what that means is there's tens of thousands of people who still haven't gotten the legal relief that they deserve. Um, I was recently talking to somebody about what those implications can look like in terms of for the industry. And, you know, it's super simple. We're not taking care of our own people. Um, this also can lead to bigger conversations surrounding what about those folks who didn't get their legal relief, who uh, ostensibly would have qualified to be able to have licensure in the industry and being left out. So there's just a lot of conversations going. I'm super excited to, uh, to share this with you. There's just a lot of work. And um, it's going to be all hands on deck if we actually are going to want to heal the harms um, from the war on drugs. Felicia, can you describe for the folks that are listening what it means to still have that on your record, to have a cannabis conviction on your record? What can you not do? Um, absolutely. Thank you, Susan. Good morning. Happy New Year. Um, in terms of still having a cannabis conviction on your record or having any conviction on your record, um, it means that there are barriers that exist for you. About 48,000 across the country. In California specifically, this prevents you from housing, oftentimes, from getting a job, from various other licensures, in terms of, you know, your, as the article as the article states, there's somebody who just got their master's from UCLA and wants to be a social worker, which she's trained to do. And there's a potential for her not to be able to get those, those licensure. And it goes something as simple as, you know, for folks who have these old convictions as well, you can't join the PTA. You're, you have barriers involved just helping 
go on a field trip with your kids or being able to um, participate in your homeowners association. I mean, those are obviously um, uh, barriers that most people would just not even recognize, but the housing, the job. So what it essentially is creating is another subclass of folks who haven't gotten the legal remedies that they need and are going to continue to be in this never ending cycle of poverty. We've got Lisa, uh, Lisa Solomon Mann up from the audience. Lisa, did you want to weigh in on this headline? Yeah, I have a question. It is disturbing how slow this is going. But Laura, I have a question for you. Is there a difference between a complete expungement and a pardon in terms of what someone will be able to do? For example, like chaperone a field trip for their kid? Well, when we talk about pardons in the state of California, they don't expunge any records. So that's an arduous process, too. So just like getting your record expunged and filling out that paperwork, there's also additional paperwork for the pardon that starts with the certificate of rehabilitation that oftentimes doesn't remove those barriers for a lot of folks. I mean, the cannabis-related conviction should just be automatic, the big holdup is what, what we're finding is in the courts for a litany of reasons. I mean, obviously, everybody's blaming COVID, but um, uh, governor's pardon only goes so far. Um, a presidential pardon would remove the majority of those things, but nobody's talking about that. That is unfortunate. And I was asking because I know in Pennsylvania there's a group that's working on pardons, and I wasn't sure what the difference was in the outcome for the individuals. Thank you. Felicia, is there a, uh, a petition that people can go to and sign? Is there an organization that people can donate to? What, what can we do? Do we, you have an action item for us? Um, absolutely. So I am the executive director of the Social Impact Center, and we do this work on the ground, both with the district attorney's office, the public defender's office, USC, and the community. So you can find us at the socialimpactcenter.org. We are getting ready not to just do the work, but to build an army of young people who help us lobby and push for change. Alicia, thank you so much for the work that you continue to do, being a champion of the people. Uh, we love you much, and um, we're rooting for you, and um, we can only do this as a community. And uh, just keep up the great work. Appreciate you. And I'm um, always doing your thing in the public space to make sure people know what the hell is going on. Yes, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you Felicia. So much love, Thanks, and Felicia. happy birthday. Uh, thank you so much for that headline, Rico. Um, <clears throat> up next is Laura DeCaro. If someone could take the stress out of the news, it's Laura DeCaro with her golden voice. She is also a staunch defender of LGBTQ rights. She's able to mediate and practice law in three states. She's a valuable voice for the State of Cannabis News Hour and is lending her skills as a valued co-producer and weekly moderator. Come on, silky smooth, what you got today? Hi, everyone. Hello. I have um, an interesting story, again, by Kyle Yeager for Marijuana Moment. He happens to be kind of one of our, our favorites around here. Um, his The title of his story is Polls Funded by Marijuana Prohibitionist Group Show Big Support for Legalization Policies It Lobbies Against. So was, according to the article, a set of new national and state surveys funded by the prohibitionist group, so ironically named, quote, Smart Approaches to Marijuana, or SAM, found that a large majority of Americans actually think cannabis should be legal for either medical or recreational purposes. But that is not how Sam is presenting the data to the, uh, of the Emerson College polls. So apparently the survey found that of the four separate options included, one being adult use legalization, two being medicinal only, three being decriminalization only, and four being prohibition, um, that support for adult use legalization was the highest, with 38% of U.S. voters backing it. That was followed by medicinal at 30, decrim at 19%, and prohibition at 14%. But Sam is really leaning into the fact that adult use cannabis on its own only got a plurality of support, Kyle writes. 
In one chart, he points out, they contrasted adult use responses with all three other options to make it look like people prefer, quote, other non-legalization marijuana policies, even though medicinal would clearly be a form of legalization. Um, he quotes uh, Kevin Sabat, who is the, the president of SAM, is saying, quote, big pot which is rapidly being taken over by the giants of big tobacco, all capitalized, big alcohol, and even big pharma, wants lawmakers to believe it enjoys widespread support among voters. Um, it pushes this false narrative with the public and uses decision makers to expand its addiction for profit business model. Uh, so again, here's Sam skewing the results of another survey um, to look as though it, they, they are in the majority of public opinion when they are clearly not. Anyone who's dealt with Sam may know. Um, but, you know, this, this survey involved about interviews with about 1,000 uh, Americans from January 7th to 9th. So it's really new data, really small study. Um, but according to the author, Sam is also doing the same thing with surveys it conducted in Maryland and New Hampshire, just misrepresenting the data in ways that are aimed at influencing lawmakers who are working on our drug policy reform. Um, and Kyle does point out that in a, in a true display of how hard Sam actually works on their data analysis, that the statement on the New Hampshire poll is a copy and paste of the Maryland statement, just swapping out states' names. So be careful what you read. Call in a doctor for analysis or any one of the lovely people that I share this stage with every day. Um, my name is Laura DeCaro, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Laura, his name is Kevin Sad Bit. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a correction. Um, you know, it's. Yeah. I, I'm curious what the people that that said that they were for decrim that that could be for so many different reasons. That question is kind of yeah, weird. It was very loaded. Very. Yeah, I think it's, it, it is an important reminder. Just like know who you're getting your fucking news from. <laughs> Check your sources and uh, make sure you're checking multiple sources, too, because any kind of language can uh, form a narrative, however the fuck they want to put it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And, and Sam has really had the ear of a lot of lawmakers over the years, and particularly in states like Colorado, where things waffle. Um, and so they can they can be a force to be reckoned with, uh, with politicians, and you need to be careful. Yeah, checking your news sources is the whole reason why we started the State of Cannabis News Hour, and we have such a diverse uh, group of correspondents so that we can give you a 360-degree view um, of cannabis news. So if you're so inclined, please feel free to donate to keep the show rocking and rolling. Well, keeping it rocking and rolling, if no one has any... Other comments? Okay. All right, great. Well, up next, then, we have Liz Rogan. She is our very own cannabis educator, brand strategist, healthcare consultant. She's also the founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County um, and our noble diva. Liz, what have you got for us today? Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I would never take Nicole's uh, thing as a, her <laughs> no bullshit either, but I'm definitely a data data nerd myself. So, <laughs> but um, happy Thursday, you guys! Thanks for joining us. Uh, my story is following up with what Susan started talking about this morning, which is I know hot topic. So it's coming from Forbes by Robert Hart. Headline reads: Can cannabis combat COVID? That viral study may be promising, but offers no proof. So a now viral study that is still not as contagious as the actual virus suggests that we could help blunt the pandemic. Unfortunately, that may not mean you should go light up. In a study published in the Journal of Natural Products Monday, researchers from Oregon State University identified two compounds commonly found in cannabis and hemp, uh, CBGA and CBDA, that could bind to the coronavirus spike and possibly block a crucial stage in how it needs to infect people. 
So in this laboratory, both compounds appear to hinder the virus's ability to infect human cells in both alpha and beta variants. And this paper uh, picked a huge flurry of interest, not on, online, also with um, comedians, which we heard. I've got a few other fun uh, com comedic clips for you also. But a lot of people took these findings as evidence that cannabis can fight the pandemic, which the study's authors do not claim. Um, Dr. Mikhail Sodegren, who is the head of the Imperial College London's Medical Cannabis Research Group, said it is not unconventional to identify drug candidates this way and cautions the findings would need to be confirmed in animal models and tested on humans in clinical trials. Basically, these studies, what they normally do is they're, they, they test a huge amount of compounds at once um, and then to see because it's really expensive and they do this to speed things up and that way they can see if like anything pops. And basically, it's great. This is the first step, but um, they have to pass a lot more tests and assuming it all goes well, an approved drug would actually be more than a decade away. But unfortunately, the overwhelming majority of positive in vitro Petri test findings and drug discovery do not translate to a benefit seen in humans after conducting clinical trials. So the data does not prove cannabis compounds can prevent or cure COVID infection in humans and providing no evidence to support the smoking or ingestion of cannabis products to do the same, he says. Um, so, you know, um, all this, uh, but as uh, Jimmy Kimmel says, all this time we've been listening to the CDC, we should have been eating CBD. And I entirely agree with that because CB does ha CBD ingestion does cause um, cytokine storms to relax, uh, fights that over inflammation. And he jokes that cannabis compounds are also what Willie Nelson calls his house. And he says, uh, Jimmy Kimmel says, you know, it's funny after all these crazy cures, I'm like, oh, that's ridiculous. Ivermectin, the horse dewormer, bleach. And then somebody says marijuana prevents COVID. I'm like, oh, really? Do tell. And the last one is from Stephen Colbert. Great news for all the teenagers whose parents find weed in their room. Oh, mom, I see you found that COVID-stopping compounds that I hid in my sock drawer. Those aren't mine. No, no, those aren't mine. I'm just holding them for my friend, Tony Fauci. Um, so now technically these compounds that have to be extracted from the plant and not smoked, but there's anecdotal support for COVID fighting properties of cannabis itself. Because of, as of today, this is true. Three people who have yet to get COVID are Seth Rogen, Willie Nelson, and Snoop Dogg. And that's why Snoop's teaming up with trusted epidemiologist Dr. Dre for their new album, The Omnichronic by Stephen Colbert. So this is Liz Rogen <laughs> reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. That's awesome. The only doctor that I trust. Just kidding, Dr. Felicia and Dr. Kaya. <laughs> so back to Susan's original question. I mean, I think there's a lot to be, uh, you know, proven in this. But I do think that CBD, like we've said, with, really helps fight inflammation, as does CBG. So it would be a great time for some company to fund a study to see if ingestion of cannabis products in multiple methods does have any effect on, on COVID. And I'm hey, and, offering myself to, to help with that study if they need. Liz, I think it's um, great that you brought that. And also, I think it's interesting that I think you mentioned they're both the amino acid compounds. So it's the CBGA and CBDA. So that's a differentiator, too, as far as smoking would um, negate any benefit, you know, as the amino acid compound part of that. So, But it's the first article where they actually identified the compound. So thanks for bringing that. Uh, indeed, and, and just like we were talking about earlier, we, we just got to really be careful about this stuff because I know a ton of people are just going to be like, oh, I'm not going to get vaccinated. I get high enough. <laughs> yeah. You know that. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, too many people read the article, so they just automatically assume. <laughs> oh, my God. It's on. Remember back... Yeah, right. I remember back a couple of years when when COVID first came on the scene and, and people were saying smoking because it's face of dilator or whatnot, I mean, was like, a, or bronchodilator, sorry, was a, um, a preventative measure against the congestion associated with COVID lung. Do you guys remember that? I mean, I think that's been debunked. Wasn't that the same time as Vapegate? Yeah, I think it was right around the same time, right after that. I remember us talking on a group about if like the smoke helped it helped it like the virus not pass through as much. Um, and I mean, since we've been doing our own anecdotal research, it seems we're still here. So that speaks for our data. 
We've got Maggie Wilson up from the audience. Maggie, we're going to give you the last word. I was going to say I agree with Rico about people not wanting to get vaccinated because of this. And I don't think it helps that these comedians are making jokes about it like they are because that's exactly what people are going to think because of the comedians that are saying what they're saying. Right on. Like We know, we know that shit's coming, too. <laughs> Plenty of people are going to say claim that shit. Absolutely. It's not a miracle drug, but it is a miracle for me. And, um, but still you got to, you know, be smart and do all of the other things to, to stay healthy, but let's keep smoking the news. Let's. So coming up next, she's a feisty conservative redhead who never backs down in a debate with her cannabis loving peers across the aisle former Capitol Hill communications director and founder of Panoptic Strategies. We've got a, the State of Cannabis NewsHour's very own Washington insider, Gretchen Gailey. Coming up next, what you got for us? Uh, good afternoon, Rico. Um, I have a update for everyone from the lovely state of Mississippi. Uh, the headline comes from Marijuana Moment. Mississippi Senate Committee approves medical marijuana bill despite governor's veto threat. A medical marijuana legalization bill cleared Mississippi Senate committee uh, yesterday, just a day after it was introduced. If the long-awaited legislation becomes law this session, a medical cannabis program could be up and running in the state by later this year. The Senate Public Health and Welfare Committee approved the measure by voice vote and is expected to be taken up on the floor as soon as today. Senator Kevin Blackwell, the bill's sponsor and member of the committee, said that he tried to retain the spirit of a 2020 voter pass initiative while making provisions more conservative to garner broader support in both chambers. He said, there's been a great deal of hours that have gone into this, uh, but it's probably not a perfect bill. We've tried to be conservative. He added, pointing to a track and trace rules and other restrictions that weren't included in nearby Oklahoma's medical marijuana law. Uh, we tried to take the intent of Initiative 65 and keep that within this framework. The bill's route to passage remains precarious. Governor Tate Reeves has already threatened to veto the measure over its proposed purchase limits, which he says are too high, and some other state officials uh, remain wary. But supportive lawmakers have said they're confident they'll have the votes to override any veto and push the legislation through. Um, here's some more details on the bill. I don't think we've actually really gotten into them much. Uh, the proposed qualifying conditions include cancer, Parkinson's, Huntington's, muscular dystrophy, glaucoma, spastic quadriplegia, uh, HIV, AIDS, hepatitis, Alzheimer's, sickle cell anemia, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, neuropathy, spinal cord disease, or severe injury, as well as chronic medical conditions or treatments that produce severe nausea, uh, Caxia or wasting, seizures, severe or persistent muscle spasms, or chronic pain. Registered patients would be subject to purchase limits that would restrict them to no more than one, quote, medical cannabis equivalency unit per day, which the bill defines as 3.5 grams of cannabis flour, one gram of concentrate, or up to 100 milligrams of THC in infused products. While those limits are significantly lower than in most states where cannabis is legal for medical patients, Reeves has said that the program should only allow half of those amounts. Patients or caretakers would be forbidden from growing their own cannabis under the proposal. Products from state licensed companies, meanwhile, would be limited to 30% THC for cannabis flower and 60% for concentrates. Smoking and vaping would remain illegal in public and in motor vehicles, and patients would still be prohibited from driving under the influence. Uh, State-issued registration cards would cost $25, uh, though some patients could qualify for a lower price. Uh, legalization advocates say the 445-page bill represents a middle ground between the more permissive plan approved by nearly three-quarters of state voters in 2020 and a far narrower approach preferred by the governor and some lawmakers. Um, there's not much to say except, you know, this is great that it's moved out of committee. Uh, hopefully it will uh, get to the floor and get a vote on it. Obviously, no one is thrilled with what is being put forward. Uh, but I, I ask, you know, folks here if it's better than nothing. Um, I, I do think they will have the votes to override a veto. I think this will happen in Mississippi. Um, it's just a matter of debating on whether or not this is going to be a good market. Uh, this is Gretchen for State of Cannabis News Hour. Happy Clubhouse birthday to Lara DeCaro. Gretchen, so those limits, those limits were per day? Per day. So you have to go to a, a dispensary every day? Uh, I guess so. I, I mean, I don't think we got the greatest brain trust actually writing this law, but yeah. So, yeah, this 445-page law, which yeah. is 
insanity. But but I mean, when you get pharmaceutical drugs, don't you get a 30-day supply or even a 60-day supply? I mean, you have to go every day? Well, this would be a wonderful point for you to bring up, Susan, uh, if you were a uh, Mississippi uh, constituent, but I don't think they care. Yeah, this stuff is ludicrous. I mean, it's not even based on any kind of science or patients' needs. Sorry. Well, well, and while it says, and and I don't know that it's per day, I don't know if that means, all right, for if you're allowed to get an amount that would take up 30 days, so then they give you a shit ton that lasts 30 days. I don't know. Um, But yeah, it all seems stupid. Highly unlikely. I'm sure. I know. We're talking about Mississippi. I'm being optimistic. Okay, good. I'm turning over a new leaf. Optimistic. <laughs> Can't you just... Can't you just get like I heard you could just get like dirt weed in the ditch or something in Mississippi? Is that not true anymore? And there are booths everywhere. I'm sure. I'm sure there's lots of booth everywhere. Um, and I wish Jason Beck was here to tell me how much booth there was booth everywhere. Mississippi. Um, <laughs> um, I, I mean, the real takeaway from Mississippi is that um, Republicans, unfortunately, my lovely party is going to do whatever they can. Uh, to get the laws in place that they want for cannabis. So even though, you know, this initiative passed last year, um, you know, they had the courts hold it up so they could get a much more conservative bill done. Um, so if if Dems have the power and want to push shit through, they need to do it right quick. You can't hold out and wait for things. This weed actually hits the self. It's going to be nothing but booth packs. He's here. <laughs> he's always here just like donald trump (laughs) (laughs) well we've we've reached the half hour mark so we're going to do a quick relight you are tuned in to the state of cannabis news hour your daily dose the thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers, not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and its speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationships. The sponsorship of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expressions of any of the opinions whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any of its speakers. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news. Alrighty, up next. <laughs> All you men, women, and children best get out of the way. Up next, we have Stone Slade. He is the host and co-creator of the new show, Hitting the High Road with Stone Slade and Sensi Mag, which I cannot wait to see. Stone, what have you got for us today? Thank you for that awesome introduction, Laura. Thank you, thank you. Uh, guys, I went a little long on when I wrote this. I got, I got a little excited and passionate, so here we go. I'm covering a little bit of the Texas governor race. If you don't already know, it's election year for the top spot in Texas politics. Current Texas governor and longtime prohibitionist Greg Abbott, fresh off last year's snowpocalypse disaster, is up for re-election. And also, after barely moving the needle last year to improve Texas's medicinal cannabis program, one may think that the governor just may be holding an ace that is cannabis legalization in his back pocket to use as a powerful re-election tool. When asked about legalization back in 2015, Governor Abbott was still very reefer madness-esque and said, at the time, I will see Texas continuing to lead the way of diverting away from activity that involves drug use and helping people lead more productive lives. Well, fast forward to this week at a campaign stop in Edinburgh, Texas. He explained his desire to not overwhelm the state's prison system with low-level cannabis offenders. Abbott said, prison and jail is a place for dangerous criminals who may uh, harm others and small possessions of marijuana is not the type of violation that we want to stockpile our jails with. I agree with you there, Governor, and it seems that in Texas, reefer madness has been replaced by reefer indifference because while the governor is talking about the possibility of decriminalization, his opponent, Beto O'Rourke, has been a very outspoken supporter of not just cannabis decriminalization, but also full legalization in Texas. O'Rourke said, legalizing marijuana is the right thing to do. It's time for Texas to come into the 21st century, legalize marijuana, expunge the arrest records for those who serve time for a substance that's legal in the rest, most of the rest of the country and allow police to focus on violent crime. Cannabis advocates continue to point out the benefits for law enforcement and tax revenue. However, it's still more of the same here with critics expressing their concern about health and behavioral effects uh, of legalizing adult use cannabis. Bradford Holland McClellan, the county Republican Party chairman, gave his boneheaded opinion and expressed concern that legal states were legalizing cannabis more than cancer-causing killer tobacco. He said, I think it would be foolish to follow some of the rules, say, in Colorado or Washington State, where they've legalized it even more so than tobacco. 
Holland went on to say that the Republican Party recognizes the medicinal benefits that cannabis has, doesn't sound like it, and that other minor possession cases aren't worth filling jails over. But O'Rourke's platform goes a little too far. Texans want their guns legal and their drugs illegal, and I think he, Beto, wants to do it the other way around. Listen, I'm a Texan, I love my reefer, I love my guns, and I personally don't identify as a Republican or a Democrat. I never vote a straight ticket. My vote goes to the candidates that will best represent me and my family's wants and needs. I can't speak on Beto's gun stance, and I know that there are many Republicans in Texas that are 100% on board with legalization, so please don't be offended that I leaned on the prohibitionist Republicans that I mentioned in the story. It's just that people like this have no business in politics. I can't even begin to tell you how ready I'm, uh, I, I am to see Abbott and his two top clowns, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, who's been under indictment since 2015 for state security fraud charges, and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who takes big pride in shutting down cannabis bills before they even reach the governor's desk, take their backward asses on down the road. It's time for new leadership in Texas. Democrat, Republican, whoever it may be, they have to be pro-cannabis. I'm Stone Slade reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. The great purple state of Texas, home of many strains of Delta Eight. Ouch! Home of the plug. The plug is like. What's up? What's up with Matthew McConaughey? Is that, has he made any noise? Is anything going on uh, he, there? Yeah, I don't noise? believe he's running. I think he he already announced that he is not. So uh, top two he, right now. Matthew pulled out. Oh. I did not. <laughs> Just the tip. And the shaft. Getting spicy on Thursday. Now, Texas is actually uh, turning out to be more of an interesting state to follow lately. So I'll be, I'll be watching it very, very closely over the next uh, uh, 11 months. And uh, I welcome the chaos. I see you with your popcorn, Rico. I see you. Oh, yeah. Up next, uh, he is a... A cannabis and intellectual property attorney. Uh, he is the head honcho over at the deliciously vegan fruit slabs, uh, Long Beach representing, and one of my favorite people over here. And he's got a sexy, sexy beard, Mr. Brandon Dorsky. What you got for us, my man? Uh, today, my headline comes from Law 360. It's Spotify prevails over Potify weed software at TTAB, which stands for the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board which granted a victory to the Spotify streaming service in their battle with a company looking to obtain a trademark for Potify as dispensary software. The tri trademark trial and appeal board agreed that the proposed mark would likely dilute the streaming service's famous mark for Spotify. Uh, U.S. Software Inc. was the applicant for Potify, and their registration was ultimately denied after Spotify filed an opposition to it with the TTAB agreeing that the proposed mark would dilute Spotify's mark by blurring, basically meaning it would impair the distinctiveness of Spotify as a trademark. Spotify argued that the Potify mark was likely to confuse consumers and dilute the mark and claim consumers would think Spotify was promoting marijuana use. Michael B. Adlin, the examiner or judge at the TTAB, said, quote, the only difference between applicants mark Potify and opposer mark Spotify is that opposer starts with an S immediately before the shared letters. In other words, as opposer points out, applicant merely deleted the leading S from opposer's mark. Allen also said the similar look and appearance and cadence means the Spotify mark would cause consumers to recall the Spotify mark and actually said we find it inevitable that Spotify will diminish Spotify's distinctiveness. Um, Potify's counsel understandably disagrees. They argued the term conjures up the history of cannabis and not the streaming service. And he claimed if Potify cannot be registered, that other marks like Clotify, Votify, Notify, and Plotify shouldn't be registered either. But all of those marks have been successfully registered in the United States. I actually kind of agree with that argument. But unfortunately, clots, votes, notifications, and plots aren't the class of vice product, you know, or... Um, substances that people may find uh, dubious. And pot uh, has a long history, and some people are not fans of it. So to claim it could dilute a mark uh, where the other ones don't actually has some merit. Um, nonetheless, 
the applicant was just seeking registration for downloadable software for use in searching, creating, and making compilations, rankings, ratings, reviews, referrals, and recommendations relating to medical marijuana dispensaries. So very, very different from Spotify. And I also like the attorney's arguments that Spotify does host cannabis-related podcasts and other cannabis-related content, so they can't really try and distance themselves from it too much. Uh, Unfortunately, though, uh, the language from Adlin makes it quite clear that uh, Potify doesn't really have a chance. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis. When when Brandon and I were discussing this article, I kept uh, typing Potify and it kept switching to Spotify. Um, and also, I wanted to make sure everybody knows that the State of Cannabis News Hour is on Spotify. But you're not on Potify. Not on Potify. All right. So when they, when they first came out with this shit um, uh, a few years back. I told them I was like, "You're not, you're not worried about Spotify soon." <laughs> so I gotta have like a big laugh about that because they were very, very confident that they were not going to get in trouble for it. So sorry. Just stop it, people. Stop it. We're more creative than this. Right. I think this goes okay. to what we've seen and said ourselves a lot that. We need to get a little more creative um, in the cannabis industry. And I think we can do that. We have the right substances to do that. Or they can just take the domain name if it's, if it's something like that close like that and just send it to um, porn. What? Redirect. So, like I don't a, understand. I don't yeah. understand the strategy. Is that revenge, Rico? Yeah. <laughs> revenge porn? Revenge I think redirect. it also has a lot to do with the pull they have on the internet industry. Because they're the reasons we have Blu-rays instead of HD DVDs, but we don't acknowledge their influence on tech. Huh? So you, we brought you, up it? to porn. Uh, so porn backed the Blu-ray DVDs, whereas Microsoft pushed the HD DVDs. So when porn made that big jump, it shifted the entire market to blu-ray instead of hd dvds so you give them that domain they'll be able to win that fight easily in court because uh, they won every other fight in court so it sounds like they'll just give you the reach round if you do that huh good old reach around from that industry i think we're getting a oh, little yeah. off track <laughs> let's keep smoking the news okay <laughs> on that note uh, up next, we have the amazing Eric Hislereta. He is an award-winning journalist, brand-building content ninja, a fifth-generation Californio, and uh, our very own farmer's friend. Uh, Eric, what have you got for us today? Hi, Laura. Thanks for the Hi. intro. Uh, great to be here today. And my headline is from the LA Times, and it's Lux Lounges, More Stores, The Five Trends That Will Shape LA's Cannabis Scene in 2022. Um, There's a lot packed into this article, so I'm just going to cherry-pick the highlights. But as usual, we have the link if you want to dive deeper. Uh, First off, why this matters, even if you don't live in SoCal, because California is the largest licensed market in the world, and LA is the largest market in Cali. uh, Then factor in that a normal year, whatever that is at this point, LA receives 50 million visitors annually from around the world. So what happens in LA definitely does not just stay here. So diving in, the writer sets it up this way. While there are about as many opinions as there are places to legally buy a bag of bud in L.A. County, a recent survey of five industry insiders found five themes coming up over and over again when I asked them to forecast what would radically alter the way cannabis and consumers interact. First up is consolidation. Quoting, expect the flurry of mergers and acquisitions that defined the cannabis space last year to continue, if not accelerate in 2022. I think that the small retail operators have just been kind of holding on for dear life, said Rama Mayo, the co-founder of downtown LA Cannabis Business Hub Green Street and the Hall of Flowers trade show. And here's kind of a depressing observation. Um, maybe not this year, but in a couple of years, he said there will be three options to buy weed. A BevMo kind of situation, like a MedMen or a Planet 13. A big-ass spot that has a million things in it. The convenience store option, like a 7-Eleven on every corner. And the standalone companies that don't partner with anybody, which will be like bodegas or the mom-and-pop shops one-off places. And I'm going to add, I think what's missing here is the Postmates era. In the Postmates era is a sort of, you know, mention of delivery services who someday in the near future could possibly team up with someone like Nabis. Um, This space is going to really continue to expand too. Um, Expansion is also next in the article. 
the city of Los Angeles may have legalized cannabis because there's just not enough cannabis retailers here, said Chris Beals, chief executive of Irvine-based cannabis e-commerce platform Weedmaps. And I think this year, knock on wood, we'll actually see an increase in the number of cannabis retailers, which I think should help bring down prices, drive access, and help with convenience. And the article also notes here there are 254 legal dispensaries in Los Angeles County, according to the state's Department of Cannabis Control. Uh, Beal said that the number per capita, one legal retail storefront for every 39,000 people, isn't high enough to curtail the illegal cannabis market. If more licensed dispensaries moved in, they could start to crowd out the unlicensed ones. According to the article, there will also be an emphasis on the experiential. I think one tra- uh, trend we're going to see next year and possibly years to come is the cannabis experience, said M- Ebony Anderson, COO of Josephine and Billy's Dispensary. While part of that has to do with the communal aspect of cannabis consumption, Anderson said equity is also at play. When it comes to wellness, we're talking about folks who live in public housing or apartments that strictly prohibit cannabis use. Where are those people able to get access to medicine like cannabis? So I think we're going to see a lot of consumption lounges, and I think cities are going to start framing it in the context of accessibility. Brand building and breakthrough in this highly competitive landscape is also mentioned, as is another factor we cover regularly, federal prohibition. We're not thinking about that being the savior for the industry in the next 12 months, said the parent company's Troy Datcher. Some of the support from both political parties has been promising, but we're not banking on it happening. Zero percent chance, said Josephine and Billy's Anderson. I don't see it happening now, and I don't see it happening in the near future. So I'm going to predict that whatever the feds do, California will continue to dominate and innovate. And when prohibition ends, our friends across the country will see what 60 years of cultivating, crafting, and compiling the best genetics in the world smokes like. And L.A. will be one of the best places to experience it. And that's what I've got for today. I'm Eric for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Thanks for having me up. Eric, this uh, reporter's name is Adam Shorn. Yeah, Adam Shorn. Shorn. Uh, he starts off the article. He's a senior feature writer, and he yeah, starts he's not off in the cannabis article. Yeah, he he starts off the article saying, while there are as many opinions as there are places to legally buy a bag of bud. Uh, come on, there aren't a lot of places. And then further down I in the know. article, he talks <laughs> about expansion is going to be, I mean, what? Well, you know, the <laughs> thing is, he's pulling, is this? yeah, he's, uh, he's obviously not from the cannabis vertical and that's why we need, and, and while journalists like me, we try to get out there and educate our brethren and sisteren or whatever that don't have this background, but he's obviously pulling different opinions in here. So yeah, he's talking about expansion. Another person is talking about contraction and so we're getting opinions all over the map. But, I, you know, I think most of us feel there is going to be expansion. There has to be expansion. And I just personally th- feel like delivery services are this really underrated player that are just going to really dominate because these areas that don't have access, like in the eastern, like in the Imperial Valley and, and um, you know, Inland Empire, there is a real play there for delivery people where a brick and mortar is maybe not going to go in. And it's the cheapest way to get into the it's industry. Cheap. You just yeah. need a couple of vans and, yeah. a, and the license, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Sean, did you come up to weigh in? And then we've got uh, Todd Ryan from the audience. I did come up to weigh in. I was just saying, I think experiential is going to change the way people feel about cannabis in general. I know Lizzie Jeff and a few other artists are doing experiences like tours where they're going around and they're doing it with CBD to make in states that are prohibited. But I've seen people come from outside, non-cannabis consumers come because they enjoy uh, whatever the artist presents and then they get more exposure and have a deeper connection to the plant. And it just goes so much more beyond go to a store, buy something and check out. Like it, it's, it connects you to the plant. And I think that is going to be the future for real. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. You had, um, it's a great story. Um, uh, Eric and great comments on it as well. Like, yeah, this dude needs to branch out and get more diverse opinions uh, on it. But um, I, I don't really see much wrong with it, uh, with the story overall. But yeah, it's going to be more le- uh, lounges. Um, you can see consolidation, and there's going to be a lot of blood. It's going to be a lot of blood, and I think it's going to be a lot of protests. Um, uh, we're seeing a lot of stuff going on, especially today. Up in um, shout out to uh, what's going on in um, uh, Sacramento. Uh, today, like major shout out for that. That's big. But um, yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of a lot more of that down here in LA next year because it's 
it's, it's, it's getting uh, real quick. I think Ebony made a really good point about you know the experiential being important for equity. You know the whole equity scene and, and folks that live in these kind of situations where they can't experience cannabis. So people in like public housing. So I thought that was a great point. Todd, did you want to get the last word? Thank you, Susan and Eric. Thanks for the story. Yeah, I was going to say I, I did read the story and I certainly see consolidation. But I was just going to say. Um, running a delivery service in Los Angeles County and having over 100,000 uh, customers since 1996, definitely de- delivery is the way to go. Eric said it, licensed or not, that's the area that's growing. It makes sense in L.A., safe, secure. People are getting their brands directly to them. But uh, So delivery, that's going to blow, and consolidation going to continue. Thanks for the time. All right. Thank you, Todd. Let's keep smoking the news. Let's do it. So up next, she's a pot-loving PhD pushing for cannabis policy for everyday people and an outside-the-box activist who remains optimistic in the midst of cannabis chaos. It's Menika Mahajan. What you got for us this morning? Thanks, Rico. Good morning, everyone. Today I'm covering some enforcement news from Los Angeles County, and this was published in Pasadena Now. So expensive crackdowns are coming to Los Angeles County as part of an effort to combat illegal cannabis grows and dispensaries in unincorporated L.A. County. Supervisor Catherine Barger introduced a motion Tuesday afternoon. The motion was co-authored by Supervisor Sheila Cool to implement a nuisance abatement ordinance and to charge offenders up to $30,000 per day consistent with Section 26031.5 of the California Business and Professions Code. The ordinance declares any unpermitted commercial cannabis activity in unincorporated areas to be both illegal and a public nuisance and establishes procedures for abatement. Another vote will be required to formally adopt it. So here's what Supervisor Barger said of the rationale for this motion. Our county is working aggressively to protect our communities against the harm inflicted upon them by illegal cannabis operations. We lack legally enforceable options to combat dangerous operations that are continually putting neighborhoods at risk. Today's motion is about addressing that gap. And the co-author, uh, Sheila Kuhl, says that illegal operations, and this is my note here, rather than local control-driven bans, are responsible for undermining the will of the people. Quote, California voters legalized recreational cannabis in order to create a system that assured consumers of product safety while prohibiting cannabis access to minors. But illegal cannabis operations continue to undermine the will of the people. This motion puts teeth in enforcement and ensures that unpermitted dispensaries face stiff penalties in the future. L.A. County is currently developing a study that will propose recommendations for legal cannabis operations, and this is throughout the whole supply chain, This motion to penalize unpermitted operations preempts the results of that research and the regulations to allow legal pathways. This is Menika Mahajan reporting for the State of Cannabis. Rico Lamit has bongs on the ground in L.A. County, so I'd like to pass the mic to him so he can add his thoughts. Rico, can't wait to hear what you have to say on this one. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll be I'll be quick on this one so we can get to the governor as well. But um, there's actually 88 cities in the greater L.A. area or L.A. County, most of which are um, considered by all outsiders to be just Los Angeles. It might come to no surprise to um, that many of these majority, excuse me, the majority of these cities are unincorporated. Uh, they have their own mayors, uh, municipal jurisdictions, and uh, many allow for um, illegal operations, but many do not as well. Angeles Emeralds co-founder, uh, Jonathan Shvetko is a good friend of mine. Um, I've marched on the ground with him for a long time as well. Um, he's now the executive director of uh, UCBA, United Cannabis Business Association here in LA. I chatted with him a little bit on this story last night. And um, unfortunately, he couldn't come on the show today, but um, these were his uh, comments that he had. So he said that the biggest fuck up on um, Prop 64 is the illusion of pathways to licensure um, to transition to the existing market from a regulated one. Uh, The fuck up leaves officials no option but to focus on enforcement first and then legalization. Um, It's rather shameful reality. And that said, there is hope. Uh, The county's moving forward. But um, as uh, Nicole West uh, who's not on today, but uh, she always says it's like death by a million paper cuts. These people were here before everybody else. They've been trying to be uh, to get legal, and um, it's been four years now, and they still don't have a path to uh, legality, um, not until they're broke first. So it's a shame, and um, people are trying to do the right thing, and I, I hope that they do um, 
finally get their licenses. Don't believe everything that these um, these politicians are saying to the news. I want to know where this $30,000 number comes from. I'm, can they just find people any old number they feel like? Pretty much, yeah. It's consistent with the business and professions code, that section. So they're, um, they're following state guidelines. Are you saying there's, a, there's any other industry that's getting $30,000 a day fines? I'm not saying that. That's fucking bananas. That's the craziest part. I mean, $30,000 a day for uh, an unpermitted operation in a place that does not allow licensure is... You might as well say a million dollars a day. I mean, they're not going to be able to pay those fines. It doesn't make sense. They're trying to put them out of business so the MSOs can come in and set up shop and they can get more money from them. That's what's happening. Well, right, but, you know... Go ahead, Brandon. Well, you know, uh, I mean, I haven't uh, read it, but if those fines can also be applied, I mean, the business operators, if the fines can be applied to the property owners, then Rico's point might be very sound because they could potentially impair the value of the properties or frustrate the property owners. And then these well-funded MSOs could come in and sweep out and get some property that's already outfitted for cannabis and get it on the cheap. Whoa, good point. We need to keep All the money. Let's get yeah always. Yeah, let's get let's get to the governor's story. Yeah, yeah. I definitely want to introduce Nicholas Wildstar next. He's a very enraptivist. He is a Black Panther Party organizer in the state of California. He is a former candidate for Fullerton City Council, Fresno Mayor, and the governor of our great state of California. And Nicholas, I want to hear what you have to say for today. <laughs> Thank you very much, Laura. Well, what's up, the State of Cannabis crew? Today's national Make Your Dreams Come True Day. And if the cannabis industry in California gets their wish, it'll be to not be taxed to death. That's why growers, sellers, and activists of the like will be protesting at the state capitol today. Yahoo Finance published a press release titled, Leaders Across California Cannabis BIPOC and Legacy Farming Sectors, to rally at State Capitol Thursday, today, January 13th, at 11 a.m., with spirited No Drug War V2 plea. In response to Governor Newsom's January 10th release of the 2022 state budget, in which he and his administration promises tax reform and better support for cannabis businesses, a coalition of stakeholders representing the two populations most harmed by the war on drugs plan to descend upon Sacramento's capital steps on Thursday, today, January 13th, for an 11 a.m. hashtag no drug war V2 rally and press conference. For 40 plus years, black and brown people, as well as legacy farmers, were locked up and denied freedoms for the same activity that is enriching the purse strings of many cannabis corporations today, stated activist and co-organizer Amber E. Center of Supernova Women, a nonprofit that works to empower black and brown people to become self-sufficient shareholders in the cannabis space. Not only has the state fallen short on its promise to right the wrongs inflicted upon minority communities by the war on drugs, but it has also perpetuated regressive war on drugs 2.0 policies through oppressive taxation, which has to end, she says. Supernova Women, in tandem with the Origins Council, a nonprofit organization that represents and advocates for cannabis farming businesses, and the 50-plus operators expected to participate on January 13th today, asked for the repeal of the excise tax for equity retailers and a repeal of the cultivation tax for all growers across the state. Our legacy cannabis farmers are pioneers who deserve to be protected and exalted, said Janine Coleman, executive director of the Origins Council. She continued on by saying, without the urgent elimination of the cultivation tax, we will see hundreds of families abandon their dreams, close their farms, sell their land, and leave their beloved communities over this next year. Um, uh, let's see. Kika Key of Gorilla RX Wellness Dispensary uh, said, California needs to decide if it'll truly be an inclusive cannabis industry because black and brown businesses will not survive 2022 without tax relief. We don't have the same access to capital and funding that our white counterparts do. 
We're definitely at a crossroads. Indeed we are, which is why I say cancel taxes. This is Nick Wildstar, a.k.a. The Governor, reporting with the State of Cannabis News Hour. Speak now or forever hold your peace. Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you so much. I'm sure that we're going to cover this again tomorrow. Uh, If you're on the street there, please let us know. We'd like to have your take tomorrow. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure you catch the replay or find us anywhere you get your podcasts and on our YouTube channel. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that make this show possible. Thank you so much, Rico and Laura, for co-producing the show with me. Thank you to our pinup girl, Liz Rogan. And thank you, audience, for making the State of Cannabis News Hour the stickiest show here on Clubhouse. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Your daily dose.